So we started a series last week that we've titled Living Intentional. And our working definition of being a Christ follower who is intentional is this. It's a person who is connected with and consumed with the person, the power, and the presence of Jesus that then spreads that life onto other people. Now, when we're talking about being intentional, I've got to be connected to, but I've got to be consumed with the person, power, and presence of Jesus, and I want to spread that life on to other people. Now, a few weeks back, I gave you a working definition, simple one, of what a disciple of Jesus is. A disciple of Jesus is a person who desires to be all they can be and the best that they can be for the glory of God and in turn helps others be the best they can be and all they can be for the glory of God. Now, I made an assumption as I got up this morning and got a little cardio in and was praying through today. Here's my assumption. I believe every person that walks in here today, deep down inside, desires to live an intentional life as we've defined it. I don't believe you would have just showed up to just check the box. I believe something inside of you desires to be totally connected and consumed with the person, power, and presence of Jesus. Now, I, I really believe that. Now, we are committed here at the Cross Loganville of reaching the next generation and those people that are lost. We want to see that next generation come to authentic faith in Christ. We want to see every person we encounter have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and be fully alive. Our mission, if you see our shirts and different things floating around, your story matters, but our mission is connecting your story with Christ and others, and we want to do that. Now, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 10 eventually today. And if you've got your Bibles that you want to open there, I would highly encourage you to do so. But I want to give you just a little backdrop of church history before I move into it today. Now, I want you to jog with me for a moment. Engage with this thought process. Jesus has done his public ministry for three years. Jesus has healed people, raised people from the dead, turned water to wine, fed the multitudes, all kinds of cool things. Called the disciples, y'all hang with me. Right there at the end, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's led down the Via Della Rosa. He's eventually crucified, but he had promised that it's to your advantage that I go away. If I go away, I'm going to send the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is crucified, placed in the borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he's raised from the dead. Now he tells the disciples, these boys that have been following him and hanging with him, these guys were probably 17 to 21. They were young guys. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait back at the upper room until they were clothed with the Holy Spirit until the Holy Spirit fell. So they did. The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. Peter is all ghosted with the Spirit of God inside of him. He's back down at the eastern wall there at the temple gates, and he preaches, and he tells the people about Jesus, and 3,000 men plus are saved that day. The church is born. It's a good thought process. The church is now born, the church. Now, the working definition of the word church is the word ekklesia in the Greek, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, ekklesia. The word ekklesia, where we get the word church from, means those who belong to the Lord, those who are under the blood of Christ and belong to the Lord. The church, church is born. What you'll find out about the church was this. The church was elastic, flexible, 
and very transient. They didn't meet in buildings or structures. Oftentimes they would chill and have some gatherings underneath Solomon's portico or porch, if you will. But it was all about house movement and all about being elastic and flexible. That happened for a long time. Even when James writes, he says, to the dispersed in the Lord, they were being scattered and dispersed because of the persecution that was coming against them. But it was God's way of getting the gospel out into the streets, out into different regions. This is kind of the move of the church that Jesus started. A guy comes on the scene around 327 AD by the name of Constantine. Constantine had a lot of power, a lot of influence, and Constantine has a city constructed that we call Constantinople. Constantine starts looking at what's being uh, practiced in regards to religion. He ends up taking a little bit of Catholic practices, some pagan practices, and some Christian practices, pours them all in a blender, mixes them up, and kind of combines all of this kind of philosophy of life and tells the people, this is going to be the way we worship. The problem was Ishtar started being worshipped, and so that's where we get the word Easter. We don't celebrate Passover like we should, but we started worshipping and bowing to pagan days and festivals. Even December 25th was a pagan holiday that they ascribed to be the birth of Christ. We don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but all of this stuff started getting messy. He also had these buildings constructed. Where the early church was elastic, flexible, and transient, he made it mandatory now that if you were going to worship God or any type of belief in God, that you would now worship in these buildings that he called them kyriakons. The word doesn't exist in scripture. You can't find it in the book right here. But it meant a house or a structure that was belonging to God or was dedicated to God. Kyriakon, bricks and sticks. And he named these buildings, St. Matthew, St. Thomas, St. Peter, after the apostles and said, that's where y'all are going to meet. Crazy what ended up happening with the church that Jesus started that was empowered through Peter and others, Paul, etc. Everybody with me so far? Come on. This is all a backdrop of where I'm about to go. 550 AD, a guy by the name of Pope Gregory the Great comes along. He's underneath the Catholic kind of umbrella, if you will. He ends up writing this incredible document called the Papal Decree to Pastors and Priests. What he outlines in that document is the priest or the pastor is going to marry people, bury people, CEO the church, and he's the only one qualified to open the Word of God and tell people what it means. Catholic belief and practices of that day was that the Bible was chained to the podium and only he could open it. Nobody else could touch it. The problem was that guy doesn't exist in Scripture. When you study 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, others own leadership qualifications and responsibilities of a pastor, you don't find him, but he became the central focus inside the Kyriakon. Paul would even say God doesn't dwell in buildings made with bricks and sticks. Stephen said the same thing. But we have have bought into a mindset that that's the way it's supposed to be. This carries on for quite a while until a beer-drinking Lutheran by the name of Martin Luther has this incredible revelation with God. He got a copy of Scripture. He starts reading the book of Romans. He gets to chapter 1, Benji, and says, justification uh, justification through faith. We're justified through faith in Christ, not through P. 
penance and not through all of this other teachings of purgatory and whatever. He goes, it's about Jesus. People look back at 15, 17, Hallow's Eve, and the Catholic Church really got ticked at Luther because they said he was very rude and insensitive that he would even pick the evening of All Saints Day when they canonized all their saints and worshiped the saints. Why would you pick a fight on this day? Luther nails his 95 points of contention. We call it the 95 Thesis to the Catholic Church door. And people said that is when the Protestant Reformation started. Anybody ever heard of that word? And so I have people ask me at times, are you a Protestant? I'm like, no, I'm not protesting anything like Luther did. I'm a contender of the faith of Jesus, but I'm not a Protestant. That would imply that I'm still protesting. I'm not protesting. I'm just contesting that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, 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 backdrop, backdrop. Because of that mindset, even when Luther began this Reformation movement, the church still flavored what Constantine and what Pope Gregory the Great had written. And it became the assumed mindset of the people that the priest, pastor, leader was to do everything. We were to sit here like baby Robin saying, feed me, but it was his responsibility. It's never been the model that Jesus laid out. Never. That's where I'm going to build today. All of us are in this thing together. Anyone who belongs to Christ belongs to anyone else that belongs to Christ. The heartbeat of each and every one of us should bleed to see outsiders come to know Jesus. The heartbeat that each and every one of us has as a born-again child of God should be, we want to see every person know Christ. Paul had a heart for the outsiders. Romans 9, 3, Paul makes a, a crazy statement, if you will. Evangelicals love Romans 1 through 8. They skip over 9, 10, and 11. They pick it back up in 12. Most people don't study 9, 10, and 11. We love eight, that there's no condemnation in Christ. We love the end of eight. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. We're, we can call him Abba, and we know that all things work together for the good. We love that, and we just kind of bypass 9, 10, and 11. Pick up in 12 that we don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, we like 12. We skip 9, 10, and 11 because Paul is laying out that Gentiles like you and I got grafted in while God allowed the heart of the Jew to become hardened, but Paul still had a heart for the Jew. In Romans 9, 3, Paul starts to talk about his love for the Jews, and he says this, I wished that I myself were accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen. I wish that I were accursed. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Romans 9. I mean, the, the Acts 9 experience on the Damascus Road, God has ambushed me through the Holy Spirit. I wish that I were accursed so that they could get it. If it meant me being alienated and sent toward destruction myself, if it meant that the Jews could really fathom the gospel, I wish that I were accursed. That's a pretty heavy prayer to pray. And then he starts in Romans 10 as he continues and he says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. And you've got to ask yourself the question, 
If Paul burned deep in his heart to see others come to know Jesus, do you have a burning for the lost? Does your heart break when you see people that are lost? There's people that come in here every Sunday that are still lost. They won't surrender. They won't dedicate themselves to the Lord. They're around it, but they've never surrendered. Does your heart break for that? When you see the pagans in the world, does your heart break? You gotta ask yourself the question. If it does, then who am I praying for? Who am I interceding? Who am I pleading God for? That I would be accursed and separated. That my heart's desire and prayer to God would be for their salvation. God, my heart hurts. I want to see them get it. Then you've got to ask the the question, if I really hurt for those people, am I sharing my story with them? Am I looking for common ground that I can share the hope of the gospel? Where are you today? Paul would go on to write in Romans 10 that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Paul is writing broad stroke to Gentiles and Jews and Samaritans and all. What are you saying, Paul? I'm saying if you're willing to confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth, confess. The Greek there is the word homologia. It means to say the same thing that God says. Home means to desire the same. Logia is to speak. So when I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm saying what God says about his son. Do you confess that Jesus is Lord? I'm not asking you if you agree with it. I'm saying do you confess it and do you commit to it? If you will confess that Jesus, Yeshua, God's salvation is Lord, master authority. And believe, believe. The word there is pistis in the Greek, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it literally means to be convinced of and to be persuaded to action to place my trust in. Did Did you get that? Have I confessed and do I believe? Because if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you, you can walk out and pray a prayer and get in a tank of water, but there's so many people that walk into a church that don't believe. They've never been persuaded to action. They've never been moved with conviction. And as I look around, I'm like, God, you've got to bring an awakening of the soul. We've minimized and trivialized the gospel. We've taught easy believism in our culture. It is time for the church to raise up ecclesia and leave the building and get serious about the proclamation of the message of Jesus. I confess that you're Lord, homologia. I believe, pistis, I'm persuaded to action. Demons believe, they tremble. Demons believe, they're lost. We're talking about conviction of sin. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about godly sorrow. We're talking about confession. We're talking about surrender. We're talking about laying our lives on the altars, living sacrifices, going all in for Jesus' sake. All right, that's an intro. (laughs) Romans 10, beginning in verse 11. Whoever 
believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, imparting his riches on all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How, how will they hear about him without a preacher? I'm going to get there on what that word means. How will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to come and meet Jesus. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. It invites us to a, a place of confession and a place of belief. So it's not a rhetorical question, but it must be asked. What is your faith and trust in? Who's your Savior? And there's so many people that have placed their faith and trust in money, fame, ego, popularity. But it only works, I promise you with all my heart, it only works when your faith and your trust and your belief is in Jesus only. Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus your preference of translation or whatever. It's not Jesus plus your favorite denomination. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so when you start to unpackage it, Paul says, do you realize that belief in Jesus will never disappoint? I've never met one person in my life that said, once I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I've regretted it ever since that point. I've met people that have lived like hell. I talked to a girl in the first service, and she said, my brother just finished some alcohol rehab place. He's a friend of mine. But she said, my brother was like, oh, God, I wish I would have surrendered and repented 20 years ago. I've never met one person that surrendered to Jesus that was disappointed. I've never heard that one person say, you know what? I wish I still drank like a guppy. I still wish I was smoking weed every day. I still wish I was hooking up with every person I met sexually. I've never met one person that has tasted and seen the agape of Jesus, the grace and mercy that was disappointed. I've never met one. I had more fun in the world. There was more peace in the world. There was more joy in the world. I've heard them say, my life was a train wreck until I confessed and believed. Not until I walked an aisle and got in a tank of water. I confessed and I became a believer. And Paul writes in verse 12, do you not realize there's no distinction? There's no distinction. It does not matter what your religious background is. Jesus is Lord for all. It does not matter what your ethnic flavor is. I don't care if you're white or black. I don't care if you're from South Africa. I don't care if you're from Noonan. I don't care if you're from Canada. I don't care where you're from, China. It doesn't matter. He's the same Lord for all people. When the veil of the temple was torn, he goes, hey, all people can get in now. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter. Again, what your denominational preference might be. The scripture says there's no distinction. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all to come and repent. For all 
come on, I'm going to kill this phrase today, probably until I die, but it's level for all to confess and believe. We're not talking about agreeing with a doctrine. We're not talking about agreeing with a few stories. We're talking about believing. Do you believe? Are you persuaded to action? Whoever believes in Jesus, verse 11. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord. Whoever. Any whoever's in the house today? I'm a whoever. Any, anybody in the room know any whoever's in their world? Whoever's that are lost. Whoever's that are distant from God. Whoever's that are defeated today. He uses a phrase here where he says, whoever will call on the Lord. The phrase there in the Greek, I love it, is a desperate cry for deliverance. Whoever will call on him, not mention his name, not try to avoid hell. Whoever will call on him in allegiance, adoration, and worship. It's this desperate cry of the soul. Whoever will call on Jesus. Have you called on him? In adoration, in allegiance, in worship, has the sole cry of your heart been this desperation? I've got to know you. He promises if you do, you'll never be disappointed. Now, I will tell you this. You can look around the room, and we don't have as much color in here as I'd like to have. We don't have as many nationalities in here as I would like to have. We got more than a lot. But we've got to have a heart for whoever, whoever they are, wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, we've got to be intentional of sharing the love of Christ with all. He goes on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel to whoever. The Cross Loganville has a heart for whoever. We're going to reach whoever. We're going to reach the next generation of whoever's. But here's, here, here's the thing. Evangelism in its simplest form is one beggar telling another beggar where they found hope. It's not that hard. It's when you open up and tell your story to someone else. Here's where I found hope. Here's where I found healing. When I confessed and believed, here's what happened to me. And all you're doing is sharing your story. And every person in here can do it. The premise reasoning is God created all people. Because of sin, all people are born lost. Lost people need to be converted. Jesus came to convert. Converted people tell other lost people about Jesus. That's pretty simple. That is about as bottom shelf as we can get. What do we know about all people? They were born lost. Were you born lost? Yes. I want to break down a little bit of Ephesians 2 for you next week. You were born lost? Yes. I'm no better than anybody because of origination. God made me. Contamination, sin jacked us all up. Salvation, Jesus shed his blood for all. And destination, it's appointed to all of us to die. When I start to look at each human heart, I'm like, I'm no better. They're born just like I am. They're separated just like I was. They need Jesus just like I do. Now, now, now. How will, how will, three times how will, 
How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they have this desperate cry of allegiance and adoration? How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? They haven't been persuaded to action. But how will they believe in him? They haven't even heard about him. There's so many people in the Southern culture that have never heard about the true Jesus. They've heard about about a religious Jesus. But how will they believe in him when they've never even heard about him? And how will they hear unless there's a preacher? Well, I thought you said there was no preachers. Hold on. The word that Paul uses there for preacher is the word kerousa. It's K-A-Y-R-O-O-S-A. Very powerful word. How will they hear unless there's a preacher? A carusa. Who's a carusa? He didn't use episcopos. He didn't use that word for pastor. He used the word kerousa. Kerousa was a messenger that represented the king. He would go down into the public market, and the king would say, go tell these people my message. His job was to deliver a message on behalf of the king. He wasn't a preacher pastor. He was a carousa. And he would encourage people to listen to his message and respond with urgency to what the king was saying. I'm looking at a room full of Kerusas today. The king has empowered you, anointed you to take his message to the public market, co-workers, friendship, family, wherever you're at. You are a Carusa. You are a messenger sent by the king. How will they, how will they know? How will they hear? How will they believe? How, how are they going to do it? Unless a preacher, Kerusa, you and me, tells them about it. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to leave their zone of comfort? Who's going to risk something for the sake of the kingdom? How beautiful Oh, the feet of those who bring this good news. Beautiful feet. It's awesome. You get to take the message of Jesus. But he goes, how are they going to do it unless they're sent? Well, we've got to be sent, don't we? The word he uses there is the word apostella, which means to be sent with authority or to be entrusted with authority. Do we have authority to take that message? Is that message supposed to be only for those in pastoral positions? No. Jesus said to those redneck ragamuffins that ran with him, fishermen, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all. Who did he entrust with his authority? The message to the Carusas. You and I. You're a Carusa of Jesus. God has called us to go into the world and share our stories. God has called us to go into the world and love people. God has called us to go into the world and be difference makers. Here's what I wrote down. How will whoever know? I got a lot of whoever's I've shared with over the years. How will whoever know? We're sent out clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I've been declared righteous. I've been justified. I've been sanctified, set apart by Jesus. 
You're clothed in his righteousness. He, he looks at me and says, do you not realize I've declared you righteous? I'm clothed in the righteousness of God. No matter what my past was, no matter how jacked up I was, Jesus' blood has washed me clean, and I go, I'm, I'm clean. What do you do? Now I go out and proclaim Messiah in public with whoever. Sit down and share people with people all the time. And God says, hey, listen to their story. Ask them some questions. They're going to probably ask you what you do. But when they ask you what you do, make sure you spend more time telling them who you serve than what you do. And I can tell that story. So I get to go out in public and proclaim with whoever. Whoever hears about Jesus, they hear about his love, his grace, and his mercy. The Holy Spirit unlocks the door of whoever. That's what happens. Hearing about Messiah opens the heart to faith and belief. Faith and belief allows whoever to confess and call on the Lord. Then whoever is entrusted with the gospel to go out and share with whoever the good news of the gospel as a carousa. I've only been saved for two months. You're a carousa. You've got a story. God's done something in your life. I've been saved for 10 years. I've never told anybody. You're a carousa. God has called you to go into the marketplace and share. Dave, it's a beautiful thing when we're able to do that, brother. It's a beautiful thing. And God is like, you going to trust me? Where's your God willing to go? Where's your God willing to go? Who is your God willing to touch? What is your God calling you to sacrifice? I sat down with my buddy Blaine. Blaine is pitching with the Royals now. I met Blaine when he was 18 years old, right when the Braves drafted him when I was doing chapel. Blaine Boyer, Adam LaRoche, Adam Wainwright, all these guys came in at the same time. We sat down the other day. Blaine, are you and Roche still are y'all still involved in uh, sex trafficking? Absolutely, more than ever. Cash, this past offseason, we were in Thailand, we were here. He started naming the places they were trying to, do, trying to do intervention work with these girls that were being sold in the sex trafficking. And I said, I'm so proud of you and Rochi. I'm so proud of y'all for getting out there. He goes, I do it during the season. I don't do it just during the offseason. And he looked at Jesse, and Jesse has started a new little fitness apparel company called Fearfully Made. He said, Jesse, I want to talk to you to see if you would make some shirts for me and the boys in the bullpen. We want to wear stuff that brings awareness to fight this crap. I said, that's what I'm talking about. What is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to sacrifice? You are a Caruso just like Rochi is. Just like Blaine is, just like my buddy Dayton is, just like I am, where am I taking the gospel? People are dying and going to hell. Lives are being ruined. Am I willing to stand in the gap? I'm not saying I can save anybody. The Holy Spirit brings about conviction. But I can share and I can walk with and I can love and so can you. If hell's not real, I lay in bed this morning. If there's no such place as eternal damnation, I'm kicking it. But there is.
And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy is out to destroy lives. And he's roaring around like a lion, seeking anyone to devour. And I've been given an assignment. I'm entrusted as an apostello. Uh, I'm trusted in being sent by God to declare the message of Jesus wherever I'm at with whoever I'm with. Let's wrap it. For some of you sitting in here, today can be a day of awakening for you. In this way. In this way. Don't balk at it. Don't turn a deaf ear to it any longer. Many of you coming in here are in agreement with some of the things we've talk, we talk about. But you're not committed Many of you coming in here have never called on the name of the Lord. And I'm talking about desperation, adoration, allegiance, and worship. You go through the church motion, but you're still so stinking stale and lukewarm that it's killing you. There's some in this room that have never believed, they've never been persuaded to action. And it's time for us to repent, Steve, and get right with the Lord. We're not looking for a cultural church. We're not looking for a cultural gathering. We're looking for God's people to be sanctified, set apart, and call on him through complete surrender. We're going to move into a time of prayer here in a bit. There's some in this room, you're like, if that's the definition of belief, I've never moved toward authentic belief. If that's what it means to confess and call on, I've never been there. Don't, don't walk out of here today. Please don't walk out of here today. Staying in a carnal, defeated state. Please don't. Please don't. Allow the Holy Spirit to massage you. Repent and get right with God. For some of you, you go, I, I feel like I'm right. But you're never engaged in becoming a carusa. You're not taking his message into the streets. You're not loving on other people and sharing the message of the good news. You need to repent. You were given authority and an assignment by God just like everybody else in the body. I believe if we repented and got serious and all of us went all in, when we talk about our vision of reaching 1,500 people, new converts, over the next five years, if we all got serious about being Caruso's, Dustin, I will tell you this, we will explode this year. We will raise that number to 7,000 because the church left the building and got serious about being Jesus' ambassadors. I want you to get it. My heart was bleeding while I was out in Arizona again this week as I looked at lost lives, crippled stories, and I think about our people here, people that are searching, people that are wondering, pe people that attend that sit here, like, oh, I'm all right, Tim. I've got a couple more chances. I've got a few more weeks. I I'll wait a couple more months. You could bust hell wide open if you choose to stay in your state without calling on, confessing, and believing. I don't want to see you go to hell. And the urgency for me to stand in public and declare this narrative with you, your blood will not be on my hands because I want you to know this Jesus that set me free. 
And I'm not mad at anybody, but I want you to get it. It is time for us to become fully engaged and surrendered.